Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yep. And welcome back to Talking Knicks, the first ever playoffs edition of Talking Knicks. The Knicks are the four seed hosting the Atlanta Hawks. We've got guys that are going to be in the building for game one. Let's talk about this whole series. I am with Tom Piccolo, Kenny Poon. Let's talk playoff Knicks. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. I can't believe it, fellas. Hey, it's been a minute. This damn baseball gets in the way of my life because they play four-hour games every night. It's ridiculous. But, men, the New York Knicks are in the playoffs. I enjoyed your guys' episode two weeks ago when you two were letting it rip, and then the excitement up. And now we were talking before this, we're going to talk some matchup stuff, things we like, things we don't. Kenny, you're going to be in the build. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, Greg texted me earlier today and he was like, hey, like everyone talking about $1,000 tickets. Like that's not true. The tickets haven't even gone on sale yet. Uh, they go on sale today at two. Should I get some? It's like, yeah, you should get some. We should totally go to this game. And I think he spent a long time trying to get tickets. And uh, every time he tried, he said uh, he got a bounce back that said the tickets that he wanted, someone else had already bought. Uh, so he spent a long time doing that, but eventually it went through. And so the two of us will be at Madison Square Garden on Sunday. Um, I don't know that they've announced the time of the game yet, but whenever it is, we'll be there and we'll be ready. I love the persistence Greg had there too. It's like really an embodiment of this Knicks squad. Like that's a Thibs move. Mm. It's just grinding until you get those tickets. Yeah, exactly. Nice segue. I don't even know if that we're ready to segue, but that was We're nice. not ready for it, but I just thought it was too strong of a connection. That was heavy, Tom. And yeah, Kenny, I mean, you're going to have an effect on the game. Yeah. Um, and not in the way that my mother thinks that she has an effect on every game that she watches on television, but I will be there <laughs> yelling at people and I am assuming they're going to hear me. I'm assuming that Trey Young will hear my heckles and it will cause him to miss all of his shots. Uh, Frank Nilakina will hear my cheers and it will cause mm. him to make all of his shots and everyone's going to be happy. That makes me happy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Trey Young, you have bad hair. No, we're not going there. We're not going there. Unless we need it. Have you been to a playoff game before? Uh, I have. Um, I went to Knicks Celtics in 2013. Uh, They won the first three games. I went to the fourth game in Boston that they lost. That was the game where J.R. Smith, I think he punched – uh, who was it? Jason Terry and he got suspended for the next game and like it was a close game and then they lost at the end and then uh, I walked out of the building 
wasn't fun. Another fun story from, um, from that. I think I was 23 or 24 at the time. Um, we showed up at the, at the game. I went to go buy a beer, was wearing this shirt, probably my, uh, John Starks jersey. Uh, and I went to go buy a beer and the guy was like, Oh, I can't sell you a beer. Um, cause I gave him my ID. He's like, yeah. Um, if you're in Boston, I guess, I don't know if it's Boston or just Massachusetts. If you're under 25, they can't sell you alcohol at Boston garden. So I was unable to get a beer. So do we think that was true or was it because you were wearing a Knicks jersey? Well, Greg went to school in Boston. He told me that that was, uh, that was in fact a rule. Um, my co- luckily my cousin was behind me in line who was over 24 or over 25. And, uh, he said like, what? <laughs> my, That's outrageous. So my, I mean, my cousin ended up getting me a beer. He didn't tell them that he was with me. Um, so he bought me a beer and then he, he also let me know that like the guy did make a comment. The next guy in line uh, made a comment to the guy, something to the effect of, um, I bet you feel good that you didn't have to sell a guy on the next jersey a beer, and the guy's like, "Yeah." So that was the thing that happened. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I did not see that coming. I vaguely remember you telling me that story, Kenneth. Um, that's well. I think they will be able to serve you beer if you want them in the garden. Yeah, I'm uh, old Thomas. This is nuts. I'm I'm still trying to get my bearings here. Like I don't know what playoff talking Knicks even sounds like like do our voices change I, I I have no clue this is this is groundbreaking I'm, I'm I couldn't be more excited I will not be in the garden but I will be glued to my couch watching this game and just enjoying every moment of it um you know probably depending on how the outcome goes but I, I'm I'm fairly confident I'm not, I know we're going to talk about it so uh I don't know Jake how are you feeling how are you feeling about this I'm good, man. I mean, this this end of year has honestly been a little bit of a whirlwind as the Yankee season picked up and the Knicks. I mean, I'll be honest, and I, I think Knicks fans have kind of been scared to throw this out there, but I was waiting for the bottom to fall out. I was waiting for it to be, you know, two days ago, and the Knicks were the seventh seed, and they were going to have to play two elimination games, and then they were going to lose, and then it was going to be like, so wait, we had this magical season and now we're in this messed up playoff format that, you know, I stayed up for that Lakers game. I thought they were going to clinch. It was 115 and they lose it. And it's like, no, like you start reading all the playoff scenarios and all that. And when they finally did it, it's like, damn. And, you know, I heard you guys talk about like, when did you believe in Julius Randle? You know, that point, obviously happened but still the stats don't process like he shot (laughs) the shooting numbers are insane he's like an elite elite three-point shooter at this point we should no longer be surprised when randall hits the back threes or these crazy baseline step back twos with a hand in his face but every time I still just shake my head and I just say like oh my god like it's still it's not shocking but I just I don't forget the past times either. You know what I mean? Like there's still that context for it. And I'm still blown away every time he does it. I'm still just as in awe as when he first started developing these shots, you know? So it's, um, it's not that I don't expect him to do it because I I am often surprised when he misses, but when they go down, it's just like, that is a tough shot. It's a tough shot for any 
NBA superstar, let alone this like 6'8", 250 behemoth who somehow has the agility to, to pull this off. It's and the dexterity. It's just, it's crazy, man. Like it still hasn't gotten old. The, the D Rose side of it went from like joke to, Oh my God. It's there's so many twists and turns that all of them are positives. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me, the biggest like surprise for me is that the entire, I don't want to say the entire season, but like most of the season I was waiting for the defensive numbers to fall off. Cause they were like top three in defense all season. And I was like, I don't like, I don't see how this is possibly sustainable. Like people are, people are getting like looks at three and they're just missing. So like, eventually this is going to come back to the mean, but at some point, man, like you just have to realize that something that they're doing is working. They're, they're making the right people shoot the shots. They're, you know, contesting hard. Like, and I don't know when it happened, but eventually like I, you have to believe in the defense because it's been an entire season and they finished the season, I think, uh, third or fourth in in defensive rating, so it's it's crazy. Yeah, and I I think we do. You know, we you, you last episode. If you guys want to go bathe in that a little bit, you guys did a great job of doing all that stuff. I think we kind of got to talk about this matchup: the Atlanta Hawks, the Knicks are the home team, the four seed, and we were laying this out beforehand. And you know, we were talking about if this was talking Hawks. We'd say a tale of two seasons. They fired their head coach, uh, Lloyd Pierce, and then Nate McMillan comes in, and they go 27-11. and 11. Uh, Nate McMillan, a really well-respected guy in NBA circles uh, for a long time, and I think he just kind of ran into some weird coaching opportunities, and people are wondering, you know, him and Trey Young, is this, is this kind of the fit? And, you know, they also had some injuries. These teams, we played them three times this year. 3-0, and and Ken, you were kind of going through those games, and I, uh, I'll i let you if you want to walk through them quickly, but I, I think we're basically saying they're garbage. Yeah, I think I'll let Tom do it, but that's, that's my general opinion is that they're not that important. Well, look, I mean, anytime you look at a three-game sample size, like there isn't necessarily a ton to draw from it, and then especially when you're three looking games, at man. it. Three games, fam. And especially when you're looking at it over the course of an entire season, even in an abbreviated season like this one. I mean, the first game that we played, we're looking you, – you look at who played minutes for that Knicks squad. Austin Rivers played over 33 minutes. Kevin Knox got first quarter minutes and, and finished with 18 minutes. Mitchell Robinson was our starting center. Um, there was no Derrick Rose, no Taj Gibson, no Nerlens Noel. So just a lot of our rotation players – were, uh, were not part of it in that first game. So it's, it is hard to take a ton away from it. But, Kenny, as we were talking about before, um, this was the only game that DeAndre Hunter played in, right, because I believe he was injured for the next two games. And he's an important part of Atlanta's team. So I, he, I think he'll – he started in this game, but I, I think he'll likely be coming off the bench in the playoffs. But he's, he's a big body. Um, I, I know that he's potentially going to be the guy to match up against Julius Randle when he's on the floor. And in this first game against us, he, he went off from three a bit. He hit, hit three threes on six attempts, finished with 23 points. So DeAndre Hunter was just a player. He was a three and D guy and made a big impact. And so he's someone to, to look out for in this, in this first round matchup. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I have some thoughts on DeAndre Hunter. I don't know if we want to get into that now or if we want to let you finish recapping the game and we can yeah, touch we can, on it later. 
we can get back to to DeAndre, but um, you know that second game, I think that it was closer for us to to kind of our our actual roster. Now we did have uh, Derek Rose at that point in the season. I think it was a, it was a very early game in his tenure, um, and and the rotation was actually pretty similar in that second game. But I believe for for them, um, I, they were missing Bogdanovich, who I know was kind of he kind of came back at the same time that the Hawks brought in Nate McMillan. So it's hard to parse who is more responsible for the the winning because Bogdanovich, obviously I think he's their their second leading scorer um, since he's returned and and he's been just lights out from three. I know he's, I think top three in the league from behind the arc since he's returned. So he's been scorching. Um, And then this final game, which is probably the, you know, this happened in mid April. So it wasn't even that long ago. It was probably the closest to what we're going to see in this first round matchup. Granted, no DeAndre Hunter, but uh, the the biggest thing in this one was that Trey Young got hurt right before the fourth quarter and uh, and missed the fourth quarter in overtime. And that's kind of when the Knicks took over and ended up winning that game. So all that is to say is that there are certainly takeaways, you know, strategically in these in, in these games. But I wouldn't say like, oh, the Knicks. We're three and zero in the, in the first round, so this is going to be a cakewalk. I think it's going to be anything but. This this Hawks team is very good, and we're going to get into it. I know. Yeah, well done, Tom. I think uh, you hit on on most of the the important stuff. So um, I don't want to dive too much into it, but like you said, I don't know that there is that much we can take away from those games, other than you know there there will be things that we talk about. Uh, but the fact that we won all four games or all three games, uh, not that telling to be honest. And I think um, yeah. in, that, in that last game, I think we were missing a few players as well. I think um, at least Burks was out. I don't know if, if someone else was out, but uh, I remember thinking, like, we could use that guy, and uh, we just didn't have him. Burks, man. Burks and Bullock, those, those guys get overlooked on this team for, for what they really do. Um, and we'll, maybe we'll talk about them more in a minute, but – all right, guys. I, I think let's let's aim big for a minute. Let's start with the stars. I, I think the headlines, if we were Espen or what Espen used to be, you know, Julius Randle, who we think has a good chance to be second team all NBA, which again, run that sentence past us before the season and watch it the reaction you get. Uh and Trey Young, the guy who you know, I wouldn't say he was supposed to be for a little bit. It was the guy who Doncic got selected after and then they were compared for because of the trade and all of that. And then he got pretty good and a lot of people called them empty stats. And now here we are in the playoffs. And I mean, 25 points per game, nine and a half assists, four rebounds. How much do we think – and I know this is a little bit of a dumb question because I made a joke before, if Julius Randle plays bad, the Knicks will probably lose. How much do we think the star effect will happen for both of these guys in this series? Because that's what the NBA is. It's a league of stars. So is this, is this going to be Julius Randle's confirmation of his season? Do we think this is going to be Trey Young's like, coming out party that he wants to be respected with this crew? We obviously have Knicks bias, but... Yeah, and I think this uh, the other big point for both of them is it's their first postseason for each of them. 
Uh, so like they got a little bit of it this year. They got a little more, um, you know, kind of national headlines and people are starting to like see them a little more, but the fact that now they're going to be, you know, prime time playoff games, like this, this is the big time. And, uh, you know, I think Julius Randall has been saying, uh, in all of the, you know, press lead up that like they've, you know, they've been facing pressure all year and, and they've, they've stepped to it. And I have to believe that that's going to be the case. And like Tom said on the last podcast, like, it's not, there's not a great matchup for Julius Randle on the Atlanta Hawks. In the three games that they played, he averaged 37.3 points per game, 58.1% shooting, and 50% from three on 8.7 attempts per game. Like, that's... I mean, that's such a crazy, like, you almost want to just say all those numbers again just to reiterate how nuts <laughs> those, like, those stats are. That is insane, not to mention 11 free throw attempts per game, hitting 82% of them. Like that, so I mean, if we're talking about like, there are two sides of that coin, right? Like Julius Randle put up those stats because there isn't someone on the Hawks team who can really match up with him. But at the same time, can you really expect Randle to continue that hot shooting fifty percent from three on nine attempts per game? That's ridiculous. And these were games that were not, you know, we didn't walk all over the Hawks. A lot of these were were close. They came down to the final few possessions. So. You know, this was Julius Randle at his absolute, like, flamethrower peak. And we still kind of squeaked out a couple of these games. So, they're, like I said, two sides of that coin. I expect Randle to be able to dominate in this series, but I don't think we can rely on him or expect him to shoot quite like that during, like he did during the regular season. We can't expect that to continue for us to, to win these games. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big thing and um, the biggest – the biggest turnaround for Julius Randle on the offensive side this year, I guess the three point shooting, but also the playmaking has been so big this year. And uh, we saw that in a Celtics game to end the, end the season, you know, they, they gave up a big lead and it was a close game down the stretch. And um, for a few possessions, Julius Randle was forcing shots that weren't going. And then he's like, you know what? I'm just going to create plays. And then in overtime he had four, I think it was four straight assists and the Knicks took like a 10 point lead in overtime. It's just like, if, if uh, the Hawks, as they've said they're going to do, are going to look to try to stop Julius Randle, I think Clint Capella said in an interview that um, it was a leading question. Someone asked him, are, is your goal to stop Julius Randle and let the other guys beat you? And, um, you know, non-committal, but Capella kind of suggested that, yeah, that's the game plan and they have, you know, they think they have a way to stop him. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And, like, if they're able to stop him from scoring, like, that's one thing, but the fact that he has the ability to create for others to create and he, in order to stop him, it's going to require a lot of attention from the team, the other team, like he's going to be able to create for other people and other people are going to have the opportunity to step up. So um, I, I have a lot of confidence of, in Julius Randall going into this game. Like, like Tom said, I, I don't know that we can expect him to shoot the numbers that he just shot um, and to, to score the points that he just shot, especially if they're dialing in on stopping him but I think he can affect the game in other ways and I fully expect him to do that. Yeah. That's, that's a really good what to watch for, for Randall. Cause we've seen it at points this season where he's, you know, go to score, do whatever you want, bro. Go get your shot, get buckets. We've seen, you know, I remember early season point guard point forward, Julius Randall, where he was just dropping dimes, dropping dimes. And uh, if he, 
if it gets to a point in this series where he can control however the Hawks are playing him and turn into the point guard or the score or whatever the Knicks need in that time, obviously huge. I um something you said there, you mentioned Julius Randle going to the free throw line and Tom, you mentioned uh you mentioned it with Trey before. I'm really interested and I know this is kind of a lame o take. I'm really interested to see how this is officiated. Um, because the Atlanta Hawks, I believe they were uh, fourth in free throw attempts in the NBA this year, second in free throws made. And I, I guess if we were making up a name for it, it'd kind of be the James Harden effect, right? When, when those Rocket teams were going to the playoffs and Harden wasn't getting some of the same calls he was getting. Like you're saying, I mean, I, you know, really interested to see how the refs react to Trey Young's first playoff series. And, you know, same thing for the Knicks. I, I know that sounds lame, but I do feel that's going to be an important aspect of the series. Jake, and I don't think that that is lame at all, because that is one of the things that I had um, in my head as something to talk about, because that is very important. Trey Young plays a brand of basketball that is very important for him to draw fouls. Uh, a lot of people are, are saying, like, the NBA has even said that they, they have concerns about some of his tactics. I don't know if they've named him specifically, but some of the tactics and the way people draw fouls. I think he was fourth in the league in, in uh, free throws attempted and first in the league in free throws made. So huge part of his game. And then the second point to that is um, the front court foul trouble could also be an issue. We also, I think it was in the last uh, Hawks game, there was uh, foul trouble between Taj Gibson and uh, Nerlens Noel trying to get rebounds while uh, Clint Capella was just pulling down board after board. And that resulted in, uh, in, in uh, Pell getting some minutes just because Tibbs is a guy who wants a traditional center on the court at all times. So I think you're very right to, to wonder how this is going to be officiated. If, if the left refs let them play a little bit, uh, it would be very much beneficial to the Knicks just because, you know, if the Knicks get in foul trouble and if they, if uh, in both the backcourt and the frontcourt, there's going to be a lot of free throws for the Hawks. If the Knicks can play their physical brand of basketball, it's, it's going to be a lot harder for the Hawks to score. So you're right to point that out. And uh, it is a very big, you know, talking point and something that's going to be, that I'm going to be watching closely. Yeah. And Jake, it's interesting that you bring up James Harden because, you know, we've seen his, the foul calls kind of dry up for him. Um, even though he's a, this more established superstar in the league and he's been doing it for years, like Trey Young, it does seem like in the playoffs, you kind of have to earn that whistle a little bit more. I don't know. I, there, there is something about Trey Young's game where because he's so small, right? I mean, James Harden is this big, strong guy. So when he, when he flops, when he flails, it's like pretty obvious – what he's doing, whereas Trey Young is weighs like 180 pounds and could almost it's just it's more believable that when he gets bumped that it's going to to you know move him off his spot that's going to affect his shot. So I'm I'm extremely curious. He obviously he averaged 11 free throw attempts per game in the regular season against us. I think that was pretty close to par for the course for him. It just it seemed like um, whenever the Knicks played aggressive with him it would lead to him getting free throws. I know a lot of people have been calling for Frank Nielakina to, to D up Trey Young for that to be a matchup that happens. And I, I love Frank. I'd, I'd love to see that matchup. I want to at least try it, but you know, we have to keep in mind, Frank, I looked it up earlier today. He has the highest foul rate in the league among guards by actually a, a great deal. 
he gets a bad whistle in general. Um, refs do not give Frank the benefit of the doubt, unfortunately, despite him being a known good defender, but just compounding Frank's foul tendencies with Trey Young's ability to draw them. And that could be problematic. And I think that, that, you know, the Hawks can get into the bonus very early and that it could slow down the game and, and kind of be an issue. So um, it's, it's like you guys both said, it is a huge part of this game. And I, I imagine that the officiating may vary for, from contest to contest. So it's, it's something to certainly look out for. And I, I think that we should stick on Trey Young though, because um, his game isn't entirely free throw shooting. Like I, I will say he greatly struggled against the Knicks shooting the ball uh, in the three games against us. He shot 36% from the field, 21% from three. And you want to attribute some of that to the Knicks defense. But at the same time, he, I went through and actually looked at his uh, field goal attempts. He was, he was missing a lot of open ones and particularly floaters. He shot like 25% from floater range, which is a shot that he's actually typically pretty good at um, closer to league average. So it's a, something I'm actually looking to put together for, for talking Knicks in terms of a, a video is how we should defend Trey young in the pick and roll. And like, there are not a lot of good answers. He's, he's very good. He ran the most pick and rolls this year in the entire league, more than Steph, more than Dame, more than anybody. And he's, he's quite efficient when he's finishing out of the pick and roll. So the way we defend him there, I'm going to dig in a little bit more, but it's, it's going to be, that, I think that's even bigger than, than the foul shooting because that's just their go-to play. They, they generate about half their points out of pick and rolls. And without, without trying to dive into the numbers that, that you've gotten into, obviously, because um, I haven't gotten into them, who are you guys thinking that we throw at them? Like, I know there's the whole question of, like, Alfred Payton has not had a good end to the season. Um, is he the answer at point guard? Um, and... Tibbs has said that the reason that he's out there is for his defense uh, largely. And, you know, like Tom said, he, Trey Young hasn't been shooting particularly well against the Knicks. And part of that has been, been against Alfred Payton. Like, is he the answer? Is there someone else? I read, um, might've been Ian Begley piece or someone was saying, uh, had a, had a piece where they talked to a bunch of scouts and people threw out RJ Barrett as a potential defender, just because he's bigger and he could, you know, potentially disrupt him and cause him problems. My concern with that would be, obviously, if Trey Young's drawing a bunch of fouls, I don't want R.J. Barrett in foul trouble. Like, Alfred Payton, have at it. If you pick up four fouls, I could care less. R.J. Barrett, I don't want on the bench with in foul trouble because he was trying to trace around J- Trey, uh, Trey Young. But I don't know. What do you guys, what do you guys, who do you guys want to see on him to, to start games and to, you know, for the majority of the game? I mean, honestly, I, I don't think this is the answer people want to hear, but I'm fine at throwing Alfred at him just to see what's up. You know, Alfred's going to play. Like, we need to stop doing a mental Knicks dance. Like, you know, is Rose going to start? How much is he going to play? And, like, hey, a series has a lot of ups and downs, and, and we'll see what we get to. Throw Alfred at him. I mean, there's there's times when Alfred Payton can defend a little bit, and if he can – I mean, if he can bother Trey Young and, you know, if the Knicks keep playing like the Knicks did this season while having Alfred Payton be what he was, especially as things fell apart towards the end, I don't really care. Uh, And then, you know, D. Rose, hopefully he can bother him a little bit with some veteran tricks or something like that. I do like Barrett if you want to body him. Tom, I loved that you were tweeting today about Frank because I think that question was going through every Knicks heads fan. 
and it is funny to look at from the foul aspect. It looks like a complete a nightmare. Uh, you know, it looks like, okay, you're feeding Trey Young some bait there. Yet, if you step out old school, it's like, oh, Frank's got this length. He can guard anyone. He could, he could ruin Trey Young's day. I'm really interested to see when Tibbs plays that card. Like, is that, uh, is that where, you know, two and a half games in, Trey is starting to find something that works, and then you throw Frank out there, and you hope he can throw the clamps on him? I kind of like that as Tibbs's back pocket play. Like, if Trey Young starts getting going, it's like, all right, we're going to throw this, you know, our guy that can be the best lockdown defender on the team at you. And if he does foul you and all of that, then, okay, we're back to where we were. If Frank finds something, then you've just kind of messed up Trey, Trey Young with Frank. So that would be a win. So what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I think you got to be careful. You know, you, you do need to give Elf kind of a shorter leash here and because the series can turn on one game, right? Like every every game matters, every possession matters. Like, So I think the biggest thing with Elford is his his effort cannot wane just because he's shooting the ball poorly. I think there were a lot of clips that, that kind of went viral on Nick's Twitter because when I mean, Peyton's been shooting abysmally and so that affected his confidence, it affected his effort. And we simply can't be having that in the playoffs. It's just there, there can't be those lapses, the lack of concentration and the lack of hustle. Um, if Tibbs is going to show that he still has this confidence in Peyton, he has to take that as a, like a boost of confidence in, in, his, in himself. And he's got to play hard and, and play smart because uh, we, we can't be having, you know, what we've seen towards the end of the season. And uh, if it doesn't work, I want to see Frank out there, pretty quickly. And if it doesn't work with Frank, like that's when you get into, look, Derek Rose has showed more effort this season in defense than I've ever seen in his career. Like it's, it's been night and day. Um, he, he plays a good style of team defense and that's what it really is going to be. Like we talk about throwing individuals at Trey Young. It has to be a team effort. I watched a lot of pick and rolls in tr- from, from Trey today and it takes so many just like, stunts from from help defenders and guys getting like getting down to the nail and helping out it just it is a full team effort with Trey Young it's not going to just be one guy yeah and I mean I it's it's kind of not exactly on topic but I, I want to address like my opinions on the Alfred Payton situation and him starting because again I think I touched on it in the the last podcast a little bit but I don't really want to disrupt the the second unit because like everyone's pointing to the fact that Alfred Payton has had this, you know, I think it was a negative 40 over the, the Knicks last 20 games where they went 16 and four. He had a negative 40 plus minus or something like that. The flip side of that coin is that the bench unit has been playing so well that they had a plus 170 or something like that. Again, don't know the exact numbers, but they played extremely well. I don't want to, take Derrick Rose off of that team because he is the glue that puts all of the people in the right spots and allows them to play better. So if they were replacing Alfred in that starting lineup for uh, Trey Young, I think it, in my opinion, it would have to be Frank because I don't want to move Derrick Rose off of that second unit. Like you, I think you might've said it last week, Tom, but if you just have Frank in there to defend and then stand in the corner and let RJ Barrett and Julius Randall handle the ball, that's fine with me. But, you know, this, this, and this is all, you know, a moot point because I think 
for the time being, at least, Tibbs said that he's going to stick with Alfred. So who knows? And But I think as a starter, I would either want to see Frank or Alfred Payton on Trey Young to start the game. And And did we potentially leave out a difference maker name? I mean, Tom, you said it last episode that this guy has guarded best wings for most of the season. And, you know, when you look at this Hawks team and if you go full, hey, let's not let Trey Young beat us. Like if, De- if DeAndre Hunter is getting buckets, like, all right. It, would you put Bullock on Trey? I, I mean, can he hold up? I mean, probably not for a full game, but isn't that similar to Frank? I thought about that a bit too, because because like we said, Bullock has been the best wing defender. But I think he does, for some reason, do better with size. I don't know that Bullock is so good at like preventing dribble penetration from quicker guards. I just I, I feel like he's kind of he gets blown by a little bit uh, by quicker guys, and he just he kind of likes the, the the bigger dudes. And I I don't know. It's it, it it may be worth trying if if nothing else is working. But I'm trying to think who among this group of wings I'd rather see Bullock guarding. And it, it might be Bogdanovich. You know, he's going to be someone to chase around because he's been such a, a good three-point shooter. Um, it, I don't think you really want – I don't know. I don't really think you want Barrett chasing around Bogdanovich because so much of the offensive burden and the creation falls on Barrett often. So I'd be hesitant to put Barrett on Bogdanovich. I think we'll end up seeing – Bullock on Bogdan Bogdanovich, and then probably Barrett on Kevin Herter. Does does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, I think that sounds right because uh, Bogdanovich, like you said, has been killing it of late, uh, and usually we'd have Bullock on that guy, and Herter would be the next guy up, and RJ Barrett. I I don't want him on Trey Young, and that would be the you know he's not going to guard John Collins or Capello, so that would be the natural state of things. I, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. I, I was just curious because I mean, you know, Trey Young is the guy that scares you on that team. Trey Young's the guy that puts up a 40 burger. So I wonder, you know, his rhythm's going to be so interesting to watch. And while you were saying that, I just had a pretty exciting premonition. Um, Taj Gibson is probably going to drop Trey Young a couple times with, with screens. Like, Taj Gibson is probably going to put Trey Young on the deck once, one time per game this series. And, like, that's just a fact. Like that um, Tyson Chandler screen against uh, – was it LeBron? LeBron against Tyson Chandler where LeBron just, like, flailed in every direction before he fell down. But I think that this it. will be, like, real where Trey Young actually yeah. gets gone. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. Okay. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, the other guy that we haven't mentioned as a potential defender um, is, I think, Emmanuel Quickly. He hasn't been, you know, a great defender this year, but a part of that is that uh, he's very slight and he gets out physical. And I don't think he would have that problem with Trey Young. That's not Trey Young's game. And in a couple, I remember in the couple games that uh, they played, he had solid defensive possessions against Trey Young. I don't know how many there were, but I just remember a few of them where I think he had a block and he might've picked his pocket once. Yeah. Yeah. He had a nasty strip in a clutch situation where Trey had like a pretty wide open layup. Cause he, he kind of blew by quickly, but quickly mm-hmm. just reached in and snatched the ball from him last second. It was, it was pretty sweet. Um, that's yeah. a great point, Kenny. Yeah. I think, I think quickly is 
uh, a good option because he doesn't have that physical disadvantage that you mentioned. And he's one thing you know about quickly is he's not going to be scared to go against Trey Young, right? Like he's not going to think, oh, I'm going against this this all star, this superstar. Like quickly, probably genuinely believes he's as good as Trey Young. Um, so I, I'm excited to see that matchup too. Now that you mentioned it, Kenny. Yeah, I I asked you guys about quickly beforehand, and I got some <laughs> not as excited of a reaction as I was hoping for. I do think playoff basketball, the Garden, like I think IQ, and I don't know if it's game one or I don't know if it's game three, but at some point that kid is going to see back-to-back threes go in and he's going to feel it. He is going to be the the dude we saw at, at points during this season. I mean, there were – you know, there were days mid-season, early season, where the offense kind of ran through IQ for for majority of the game. So I I really do think he's going to find a way. I, I don't know if it's early. I don't know if it's mid-series. But back-to-back threes, he's going to feel it, stretch the defense, and just feel that good, that good playoff end. Well, and, yeah. and Jake, to your point, like the, the best way to, to wear down someone like Trey Young is to go at them when they're on defense. And so when, when Young is defending Alfred Payton, there's not a whole lot he has to do, right? Especially if they station Payton in the corner. Like, but quickly is a whole different story. Like you have to guard him from 30 feet out. And he's also a threat to drive and get into the paint and, you know, hit, hit the floater or dish to others. So, um, I just like quickly out there to make Trey Young work on the defensive end as well. Yeah, and I think I, I think you're right. There's gonna there there is a different atmosphere in the Garden in the playoffs, and IQ is the type of guy who might just be lit up by that, and he might just go off and win an entire game by himself. Uh, that being said, like I. I'm not counting on it. There, I'm counting on someone from the Knicks to step up. I think there's, you know, a couple buckets of people. There's R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle and Derrick Rose. We need them to all, you know, play pretty well. And then the next bucket of people is, like, Quickly, Bullock, and Burks, who I think any one of them could go off in the game and, and put up 20. And, like, I, I'm, I'm not saying it needs to be every game, but one of them's going to have to step up and, and start making some – uh, and make regular plays to take the burden off the other ones. I feel like there hasn't been a lot of R.J. Barrett at all, this conversation, excuse me. Um, R.J. Barrett's obviously been a huge part of this season. Uh, where are we at? I, are we – because, you know, we start talking about guys' first playoff series and all of that. Uh, R.J. Barrett was another one that, you know, he started making threes – it was very similar to Julius Randle to a degree. Like we, you know, we liked a lot of RJ Barrett's game, but we didn't think he was going to be a three point shooter, especially at this year. He finishes the year 40.1% from three on 4.3 attempts. I mean, that's shooter. Uh, like, is there a chance we walk away from this series and RJ Barrett starts getting kind of some national love? Are we nervous that there could be some first playoff series like, whoa, RJ, what's going on? I, I, what's, what's your guys' pulse? I, 
uh, kind of like I said about Julius Randle earlier, but like RJ Barrett is just so, you know, mature and like in the moment that I'm not really worried about him. Like I, I am confident that he can step up. He stepped up on, on the national stage. He played at, he played at Duke. So like he's familiar with uh, kind of high pressure situations and, you know, he showed it all throughout the season. Like, if he had a bad first half, he came out in the second half and he went off. Like he's a guy who's very level-headed. He's very mature for his age and not even just for his age, just for, for an, a basketball player. Like he's going to, he's going to be fine. Like I'm not worried about RJ at all. I, I fully expect him to, to have a good series and, and to, you know, um, do his normal stuff, which is make life hard on whoever's guarding him, you know, play physical defense, play physical offense. And, um, you know, score some points, get some rebounds, play some defense. Yeah, RJ's just solid, right? Like, he's he's so dependable. Um, he kind of just walks into 15 points a game somehow, whether that's uh, through getting some free throws, getting in transition a couple times, um, an offensive rebound and put back, and then a couple spot-up threes. And he's, like, already at 15. It's, it's pretty just – sometimes it's unremarkable, right? Like, you don't even notice it. Uh, there are other times where he scores in in stretches and seems unstoppable, and you know he's getting and ones and taking on entire transition defenses. But like, I, I think the questions about RJ Barrett's game oftentimes are about his ability to break down guys off the dribble in half court sets. He doesn't do it a ton. Um, you know, I try and highlight it on my Twitter every time he does do it because it is somewhat remarkable. Um, he, he isn't the shiftiest player, right? He, he likes going to his left. He likes just kind of – he just kind of likes going strong to the basket and sometimes not even strong enough. Sometimes he tries to avoid contact and kind of does like a little swooping shot going to his left. But I don't know. Like, I think if there were any concerns, it would be the fact that defenses ratcheted up in the half court in the playoffs and that, that tends to be where RJ struggles the most. But um, – Look, as a, as a shooter, he's the real deal. You know, I, I have full confidence in his ability to space the floor. And, I mean, just what an incredible turnaround from last season. So I'm, I'm not totally worried about RJ in any way. I just think it's – you almost take for granted what he brings to the table, which might be why he hasn't been brought up that much during this conversation. And I'll say that um, kind of like you said, RJ Barrett doesn't break people off, off – um, um, on the dribble that often, I think that kind of works to his advantage in the playoffs where the defensive intensity is up. Cause like when he is getting his points uh, going to the rack, it's not because people lost focus. He's not a guy that's like just dribbling right by them because they weren't, you know, engaged enough. He's going right at them. And if like, they're, they're, <laughs> they're fully aware of what's happening. So I think his game's not going to change that much because it's the playoffs. And, you know, we talked about his improved shooting, and I think that just speaks to his mental fortitude and what I was saying earlier. Like, he's, un- he's unfazable. Like, he-, he doesn't get shaken. The guy went 0 for 18 to start the season from three and then finished the season shooting over 40%. Like, if-, if another guy in the, I think it was the second through fourth game of the season went 0 for 18 from three, like, I don't see how they recover from that. Uh, just mentally and with their confidence to to shoot 40% from three uh, on the season after last year not being a particularly good shooter. Like, it's incredible, and that's why I'm just not worried about RJ. I love that, Ken. I love that. 
Um, Tom, we're, we're a couple minutes into this. I, I want to do a little bit of, and unfortunately, I think we got to do the bad stuff before the good stuff, but what would, what would get the Knicks in trouble this series? Is it Bogdan going off? Is it the Knicks size being in trouble? Like what, what are the biggest concerns? So I think my, probably my biggest concern right now is we haven't even talked about him really yet is Clint Capella. Um, He was actually in some people's conversations for all NBA center third team. Like he was, he's been that good this year. That's just because they redefined who centers are. He had no chance if it was just Gobert, Jokic, and Embiid. Right, right. But they made Embiid a forward or and Jokic a forward. So yeah, there was that whole controversy. But because of that, that's all to say. Like Clint Capella was a monster this year. Like he's a big, wide dude. He against the Knicks this year, he averaged in the three games seventeen points, seventeen boards. I mean, he shot 68% from the field, and he had just over a block per game. So, I mean, it's just he was – we couldn't keep him off the glass. Straight up, uh, Mitchell Robinson, he's our, he's our biggest guy. He would be the best tr- uh, option to put on Capella. He's not in the picture here quite yet. So, we're looking at Nerlens Noel and, uh, and Taj Gibson. Both of them are just substantially smaller than Capella. And so, I think just – that I mentioned the pick and roll before with Trey Young. Capella is his, his number one partner, and he's the beneficiary of a lot of lobs. And so Mitchell Robinson's the kind of guy who can kind of split the difference, can can sort of corral the Trey Young while also being ready for the lob behind him. And Noel is pretty good at that, but he's just not big enough. He's not tall enough and not long enough to, to really be able to disrupt that lob. So um, it's going to take a lot of team defense. And there are probably going to be some open three-point shooters, so the Knicks are going to have to continue sprinting out at shooters uh, like we have all season. But th- those offensive rebounds are, are a, real, a real thing. Clint averaged six offensive boards per game against us. That's, that's no joke. So um, I'd say just that, that size disparity is probably – it might be my biggest concern going into this is, is how we match up with Capella. Yeah, and I that is one of the things that I had on my list as well because, like you said, Capella has been ridiculous, and I think it was particularly pronounced in the last game against the Hawks where Capella had uh, 22 rebounds and nine on the offensive end, and it seemed like every time the Knicks got a stop, Capella came down with a rebound and gave them another opportunity, and that was just so deflating time after time. And, you know, uh, we like I said earlier, one, we had some foul trouble with uh, Nerlens Noel and with um, with uh, Taj Gibson, and like that's a problem. Like we can't, we're going to end up with uh, Norman Pell on the floor, um, and that's you know that would be a crazy thing to do in the in the playoffs. So Tom is right to worry about uh, about the rebounding of the Hawks, and you know it, that is a major concern. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this is a little old school, but uh, of the top five Hawks scores, Capella's the only one with playoff experience. So, you know, we talked about that with some of the guys. Like, Capella's played in some, in some battles, obviously coming from those Houston teams. And, yeah, I mean, you know, Noel, Nerlens has been so awesome for this team. Like, there's going to be a really cool when we do the end of the season and we're like, damn, 
Nerlens, you were awesome. Like, he can hang with Capella. I love me some Taj Gibson. I already talked how he's going to crumple Trey Young this series. If Capella gets a ton of run at, at Taj, I don't know. That's a matchup that I think does favor them over the course of a series. So, interested to see how that develops. And I feel like, you know, these tough games as the series rolls on, I could see Capella getting stronger as the series goes, which is a little bit of a scary thought. And just building off that about Nerlens Noel, he's, he has been great just blocking shots at the rim. He's had some really clutch blocks. Um, but he's also, he also kind of knows it, and he really has been jumping for blocks and going for blocks a lot recently. And in, in the last game against Boston, I almost sent a tweet out because there were a few possessions in a row where Noel went for a block out of position, and you know because of that, the Knicks were not able to get a stop. And before I sent the tweet, Noel had like two really clutch blocks in a row. So I was like, okay, I'm glad I sat on that one. But there are often times where he kind of gets himself in trouble because he falls in love with his ability to block shots. So that you know that tendency to jump at pump fakes. It's, it's an issue against Trey Young, that's for sure. So, you know, we can't afford to have Noel in foul trouble. And so that's, that's definitely another thing I'll be looking for. Well, let's spin this the other way, fellas. I mean, this is a Knicks podcast. I think we're all feeling pretty bullish on the Knicks. If the Knicks win in four games or the Knicks win in seven games, what are we saying? Is it that Julius Randle is here? He is the all-NBA second-team forward. He was the best player in this series. Um, the, t- the defense from the season continued. They bullied Trey Young. It was too much for them. Um, or, you know, the second unit has been kind of electric for the Knicks lately. Is that going to be a sneaky part of this series? Like, what's, what has you puffing your chest the most for the Knicks this series? I mean, I think for me, it's just the the amount of guys who can step up. The big 15 mentality. Like, when you first posed the question, like, I, I tried to think about it. And, like, obviously, Randall is is who I expect to be the big name. Uh, Barrett is – I expect to be, have big games. Um, but it could be anyone, you know. Like, Rose could go off for 30 in a night. Like, like we said earlier, Quickly could go off for 30 in a night. Like, Burks could go off for 30. Like Bullock could go six for six from three to start the the game, and then like that'll give us a big lead. Like these are all things that have happened. Like I'm so I think it's just the ability to, for the Knicks to get you know um, someone to step up is the biggest thing uh, for me. And for and I mean Kenny said it, but it's it's Derek Rose. Like I think he's going to be such a difference maker in this one because you look at the two point guards that the Hawks will be throwing at Rose and it's Trey Young and Lou Williams. Those are two of the worst defensive point guards you could possibly think of. And that's kind of all they've got, you know, it's, that's bleak for them. And Derek Rose should be looking at them and looking to get downhill and, and really dominate right from the start. And I just like Rose's mentality, his confidence, like he still carries himself like an MVP, right? Like, he knows he was the league's the youngest MVP in league history. He still carries himself that way. He is so confident now that he's a veteran. And I, I love the way that just the team's attitude when he's on the floor, how, how much more aggressive it is. 
how they look to push the ball on offense. And just looking at those two matchups against Derrick Rose, I, I think there's a good chance that kind of the team will go as Derrick Rose does. I think that Julius Randle, yes, that the, uh, the matchups for him are good as well, but um, I don't think they're quite as good as they are for, for Rose, who is going against two of the, just the worst defensive point guards in the NBA today. Yeah, and that's a good point, Tom. And I, I hadn't even thought about that until you just mentioned it, but with the way Derrick Rose was going towards the end of the season, and I mean, he did have a, an ankle injury at the end of the season, but like, if he can get some confidence playing against those guys, like he could be very dangerous. I love that. And I, you know, I had a premonition earlier about Taj Gibson and Trey Young running into each other a lot. I think there's a big D-Rose game, and NBA Twitter loves it. Like, LeBron gets the tweet off, like, my guy still got it. And everyone's like, is he your guy? When did that? And, like, McCollum's in on it, and everyone's just stoked. And they're like, D-Rose, that's a bad dude. Like, I love that. I see that very clearly in my head. Yeah, I, you're painting a picture, and I can definitely see it happening just be. Because, like, not only is he capable of going for 30 in a game, but, like, the way that he does it is so fun to watch. Like, he's just still so quick on the first step, and he's got a tight handle, and, like, he's very acrobatic with his layups. And, like, it's it's fun to watch, and people are going to love it. And you also just forget kind of how – I mean, he's still just so explosive, and he's just strong. Like, you, you forget how strong he is. And, you know, as, as they say, like, Trey Young, Lou Williams, they're light in the shorts, right? They're a little light in the shorts. They're not, they're not going to be able to hang with Derrick Rose kind of just bullying them to the rim and, you know, hitting his, hitting his floaters or whatever he's – I don't know. Like, he was so money from mid-range too. I'm, I'm getting excited just talking about Derrick Rose in the playoffs now, which is, you know, flashback to like three years ago. I, I can't even imagine saying those words, but it, it's the real deal. Rose is – he was the catalyst for the season. The season turned around when the team traded for Derrick Rose – um, and it, it's for a lot of reasons, but um, it, it's, I think, mainly because of that, just that attitude and swagger he brings to the team and that, that quiet confidence. Um, so that's, that's my answer. Love I've it. Got, can, can I put out my peacock feathers for a second? Yeah, please. Let it fly. I mean, you, get, you guys have seen me do that my whole life. Um, is there a chance... So there's, there's an NBA stereotype out there that, you know, some teams have these final third of the season that ends up looking a little deceptive uh, because a lot of teams by that point are either tanking or, you know, you get so many rest games and things like that. So, you know, they change to Nate McMillan, they have a good final third, almost close to a half. I, they definitely deserve some credit. <laughs> Kevin Herter plays the second most minutes on this team. Um, you know, DeAndre Hunter's back, and they like him, but he's still a young player. We'll see what he brings. Um, is my guy Cam Reddish still getting buckets? Is there any Cam, chance? Cam's injured. Okay. I, I, I thought, because I love me some Cam Reddish. Um, could we look back at this and be like Knicks 4-1 and it kind of 
it, it wasn't close. Like Trey wasn't getting fouls. When you look at their some of their secondary options, they're not guys that really over the top scare you. I, I don't know. Like and the Knicks, you guys kind of painted it in a slightly negative light last episode that the Knicks have had the screws turned to 10 all year, how much love they got for their defensive effort and all that. And, you know, you assume other teams kind of have that gear. I mean, we've seen years when, you know, go watch any of those Golden State games. Steph Curry gets picked on, on defense, every possession. And Tom, I loved what you were saying that when Alfred's out there, that doesn't do anything. They might just attack Trey Young. And that might be something he's not built for yet. And I'm peacocking right now. I think you're right, man. I think um, they could totally put Trey Young through the ringer just through like constant pick and rolls. I don't think that, I don't think that the Hawks will be like switching that action, but I think he's going to get hit a lot. Like to your point, those those Taj Gibson hits add up, right? So maybe he's not getting tested by Alfred Payton off the dribble all that much but you know if, if they got Alfred Payton just running pick and roll after pick and roll and, and hopefully you know driving and, and dish and then and then when Alfred Payton's out same thing I, I I guess I the only thing I disagree with you a little bit about is the point to the Hawks secondary players who I actually think are pretty good like I, I think that John Collins is just a good player um He's, I talked about RJ Barrett walking into 15. I feel like Collins kind of does that with like 18 or 20. He just, he gets a lot of boards. Um, I, I don't know his, his three point shooting. He shot close to 40% from three on just over three attempts. I mean, that's, that's getting near RJ Barrett territory. Like he's, he's a pretty complete offensive player. He doesn't scare me as far as like trying to stop Julius Randall on the defensive end, but as an offensive player, I think John Collins is, is a very good second option. Um, yeah, like Bogdanovich just catching absolute fire. He hit 44% from three on 7.6 attempts per game this season. That is – that's out of this world. That's got to be towards the top of the league. And then, um, yeah, so I'm not underrating this Hawks team. Like, I, my guard is kind of up. I'm, I'm definitely bullish. I'm definitely optimistic. But I do think it's going to take some, some pretty stellar performances. And, and, like, the Knicks can't be coming out – flat like we have like we've seen a lot right to start first and third quarters just kind of coming out a little sloppy and then digging their way back I don't I don't think that that's going to be a, a formula to <laughs> that's going to work here in the playoffs this Hawks team is is legit and you know this last part of the season Jake uh teams haven't really been doing that tanking thing like there have been a lot of teams with a lot at stake given the playing games like all the way down to the 10 seed everything's mattered like you know, whether it's home court towards the top or, or seeding, you know, at the, through the 10, the nine, the eight, the seven seeds, it's just, there are a lot of teams actually playing for something towards the end of the end of the season now. And that's kind of what the league was trying to do with those playing games. And I think it worked. So I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to bad mouth the Hawks. They're a good team. I just think that the Knicks are probably a little bit better and that's what's going to make the difference. Yeah, and I, I agree with a lot of what Tom just said. I think this this Atlanta Hawks team, they have a lot of offensive firepower. Power. I mean, Trey Young, Bogdanovich is a shooter. Uh, Collins is a good offensive player. Capella 
is not a you know a traditional offensive player, but he is a lob threat. He can you know uh, get a rebound and, and dunk the ball. Um, Herder can make make threes, and then off the bench you have guys like Danilo Gallinari and Lou Williams who can both score the basketball. So they have a lot of offensive threats, and the Knicks are a defensive team. And like because of that, this this series could go in any number of directions. Like if the Hawks get hot and just make every three that's not going to be good. It's like um, being a, a fan of Villanova basketball. Like I see this because Villanova for years shot just a ridiculous amount of threes more than anyone else. Other people have started to catch up, but in uh, the, I think it was the 2018 tournament, they set the record for most threes made in the tournament and were just launching nonstop and won every game by a ridiculous margin uh, because they were making all their threes at just an unbelievable rate, which can happen in a six game series. Um, but you know, the, the, the Knicks just, I fully expect them to play solid defense. Um, and there's a possibility that those threes don't go in. And again, I saw, saw that this, this year with Villanova where they went on a cold stretch and lost a few games in a row. So like, because it's a six, it's a seven game series, like anything could happen. I wouldn't be, like completely shocked if either team swept, I wouldn't be, I I'd actually probably um, would guess that this game's going to go six or seven at least. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a short series. And because these teams are, you know, four or five, they're pretty equally matched. One's a, one's more of an offensive team. The Knicks are more of a defensive team and like anything can happen. That's basketball. Like shots go in, shots miss, like anything can happen. I'm, yeah, I mean, I just went through the Hawks schedule a little bit. And, I mean, I was I started digging pretty hard. Uh, you know, I, was, I looked at the they, – they beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Or, no, they actually lost that game. Giannis only played 22 minutes. They stink. Um, I was just looking for reasons to hate the Hawks because um, I think that helps in the playoff series. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. What what else do you guys have? I mean, Obi Toppin, 50-burger? Probably. I mean, I think the biggest thing we haven't discussed is just, like, Tibbs. Like, like you, you mentioned that there was an ESPN article that was, like, you said Trey Young versus Tibbs. But I think not to be, you know, we, we can't be dismissive that he is a good coach based on what he's done this year. Um, I expect the Knicks to put out a great defensive effort. Again, like even when you play great, great defense, this is an offensive league. So sometimes the shots for the other team are going to go in, even if they're tough contested shots. So it's no guarantee, but I expect them to play hard and to play, you know, solid defense. And uh, I was reading um, a Begley article, I believe, and he said that um, Tibbs won a playoff series with Nate Robinson as, as his point guard, which I did not believe. So I went and looked it up, and it turns out half true. Um, Nate Robinson started three of the three of the seven games against uh, the Brooklyn Nets in I think 14 either four, 13 or 14 um, and they won that series so that's the thing that happened like Tibbs uh, Tibbs is very well prepared and he will be very well prepared for this series and I fully expect him to you know put his his players in a position to win yeah, it's that preparation point that that's doing it for me because you think about how good the defensive schemes and game plans are during the regular season when he has like 24 hours to prepare for a for an opponent. 
think about all the tape he's pouring over right now. There's no one who's outworking Tom Thibodeau. Like, you know he is grinding over that tape, and he is going to come up with the best defensive scheme possible. And and then after each game, like the adjustments he'll be making, it's it's going to be something to see. So I think it's a great point to call out Thibodeau, his work ethic, and just how prepared he's going to have this team, how ready he's going to be for the Hawks and all their counters. It's, it's going to be exciting to watch. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I have much else, man. I'm just – I'm so excited we're going to get to watch some playoff basketball soon. The the Tibbs aspect is is really cool from the – like, I don't know. Think, think about a lot of other teams playing. Uh, a topic would be like, you think they're going to get outcoached? And I don't think you really have to think that with the Knicks. Like, you know, shout out to Nate McMillan. Like I said, I think he's very well respected in NBA circles and he could probably go toe to toe with Tibbs, but it doesn't feel like we'd be hopping on the mic after a game and be like, man, Tibbs got whooped tonight. They never figured it out. Like, no, it's going to be the shots didn't go in or Trey had a night. Like it's uh, the fact that going into a series, you can feel that way. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. There's a certain comfort to that, right? Like the person in charge, like he's been there, like he has, he's prepared, he's ready. Like uh, it, it, for some reason, it just grants me an immense amount of, of comfort to know that Tibbs is the one running this team. We're in safe hands. Should we make predictions? What do we do? Ooh, okay. Um, I just got myself so wildly jazzed up that the Hawks stink. And that's not great. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'm going to keep the feathers out. They stink. Because I think so many people are playing, saying Knicks in six anyways that I'll take them in five. Screw it. Um, I started this several weeks ago, but I'm no longer predicting Knicks losses. <laughs> so I'm going for a sweep. Nothing, hmm. nothing against the Atlanta Hawks. I just, I just don't predict Knicks losses anymore. I don't do it. That's wow. such a great philosophy. Tough act to follow, Dom. I mean, I think that we're going to get a game seven in the garden, and I think it's going to be an epic win, and it'll be one of the more memorable Knicks memories that we're going to have. So I'll, I'll say Knicks in seven in tremendous fashion. Nobody's on the Hawks, huh? <laughs> on the Talking Knicks podcast. Would be wild if someone were. I think BBD said he was picking What did BBD Hawks. say? Did he say Hawks? He said, he said Hawks in four. He said go Hawks. <laughs> BBD didn't say any of this. BBD said go Knicks. I'd have to reread the text. He specifically told me to tell everyone he says go Knicks. He's busy doing stuff for the Yankees game or something. Yeah, well, you know what I'll say? Uh, <laughs> let's get to the point where we get to talk about a second series because then we might not be as bullish on the next, but let's get to that no. point. Kenny was still not predicting. not predicting. I, I am no longer predicting Nick's losses. It's done. I'm <laughs> done with it. Well, uh, guys, I think this was fantastic. Um, I think the plan is that we're going to try to hop on the mics, even if briefly, um, after the games this series. We'll see if we got to adjust or 
if there's a night that's too late, maybe me and BBD will try to sneak in for a morning shift or something like that. But, uh, you know, we want, we got a Knicks playoff series. So we're, we're going to try to, we got to gear up. We're going to try to enjoy this and gear up like you guys. So, uh, Follow Talking Knicks everywhere if you don't already. We'll be clipping and putting commentary on the internet. Uh, and yeah, I think that's it, guys. Go Knicks. Well, look for me at the garden. I'll be in the top row. I'll be uh, probably wearing this shirt, John Starks jersey. You'll see me with get a beer. Trey's, get in Trey's head with the beer. With the beer legally. Um, Kenny, Tom, fantastic stuff. Tom, you're going to come out with an article, maybe? I'm, I'm trying to put together a video, yeah. Okay. So look out for that on the, on the Twitter. Okay. Tom Pickles. No, that's not it. Um, Tom Piccolo. At Tom underscore Piccolo, and it'll be coming from that John Boy Media account. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to this. I think this is a, a really good listen for any Knicks fan. So excited to share this. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon, and then we'll eye up the next playoff series that we win. So let's go Knicks. Let's go Knicks. Knicks take.